morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here this morning. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church, and I uh, just have the privilege of, uh, of being the teacher preacher today. Uh, with, with much joy, you know, Scott mentioned uh, the Pelton family. That's, that little June Victoria happens to be my granddaughter, so we're, uh, Tony and I are very, very happy. And uh, just rejoicing in God's gifts. I need to tell you one story, and, uh, and that is that uh, Tony came down with uh, the flu on Wednesday, and June was, uh, was born, and uh, Tony has not been able to hold her granddaughter yet. And so, uh, so uh, yeah, sadness, a lot of sadness there. And uh, so she feels bad because she has the flu, but I think emotionally I'm picking her off the floor because she wants to hold her granddaughter. But uh, Ryan and Christy came home yesterday and uh, all was well. And so we just rejoice in, uh, in, in the gift of life. Amen. Thanks for mentioning that, Scott. Um, uh, here we go. Um, the, um, the passage for today, the, uh, the, word, the word discover, the word discover, re- rediscover, is a very interesting term. Um, something, something hidden is, is found, something lost is, is uncovered, something misplaced is all of a sudden turns up. And at that moment, when that happens, there's a eureka moment. I found it. I mean, there's usually a lot of joy. You know, you, you, you put your hand in your pocket or jacket pocket, and, uh, and my, you feel something, and oh, a $20 bill. Oh, that's, that's good. Your, your grandson is playing in, in, in your, your sandbox, and he, and he uncovers his lost dump truck. A lot of joy. A lot of joy. Your, your, your spouse misplaces her wedding ring, and there's an all-out search. And, uh, and then we find it on the kitchen windowsill. I mean, again, eureka moments, there's a lot of joy. Now, believe it or not, in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a discovery. The word of God is found once again. The word of God is uncovered, and there is great joy, great joy. The treasure, the word of God, is uncovered, and the people are able to hear it and read it once again, read it once again and hear it once again, and there is great joy in the people of God. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, as found on page 403 in your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 8. We continue our series in Nehemiah. And you can see behind me uh, the words there, return, rebuild, and renew. That's the theme for this series. And, uh, and before I read the passage, I'd like to just open with prayer. Dear Father, once again, we, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. And we thank you that um, your, your word is alive and active we, we pray, dear Lord, that as we hear your word, read your word, as we hear it proclaimed, that your spirit will truly work in and through your word and truly work in our hearts and our lives. We pray, sovereign Lord, that you will do your work here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, 403. 
And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And skipping down to verse five, and Ezra opened the book, he opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then you have a list of leaders and teachers there. And then you hear that word and they help these teachers, leaders. They help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly as they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and, and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. God's uh, reading for us this morning. Quite a, quite a story. Here we are in chapter 8, the beginning of this chapter, 
And uh, the walls now have been built. And, and let me just back up a little bit. Nehemiah, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The 70, days of, 70 years of captivity had taken place. 13 years before Nehemiah, Ezra came to Jerusalem. Ezra and a number of people rebuilt the temple, but the walls were still down. The walls were down and the gates were down and broken. Uh, and, and when walls were down at that time in that culture, when walls were down and gates were broken, it was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of weakness. And so Nehemiah comes and realizes, hey, it's, it's time to rebuild the walls. Time to rebuild the walls. It's what, what's most remarkable here, chapter 6, verse 15, you can read it. It took, it took 52 days, only 52 days to repair the walls. The walls were down for years. I mean, this is just a little side note. The walls were down for years, but then God sends a leader. A leader has a vision, rallies the troops. Isn't it amazing what will happen if everyone's on the same page? When we have one purpose, one mind, one aim, the walls are built in 52 days. They were down for years. That's a, that's a message all by itself. I'll just leave it there. And so the walls are, are built, and here we are, chapter 8. And it, it's kind of a pivotal point in the book. Return, rebuild, renew. God is very concerned about brick and mortar. God is concerned about the city and how it looks, but he's more concerned about the people in the city. It's time for a spiritual renewal, hearts being renewed. God does not just want beautiful brick and mortar. He wants people, hearts, who love and serve him. And so now we find this passage, Ezra. They build him a platform. He's standing on the platform. He begins to read from the book of the law of Moses that God had commanded to Israel. And he begins to read daybreak to noon. Some scholars say five to six hours. Remarkable. And the people are attentive. The people are standing. You know, in some, some church circles, in church history, when the Bible is read, people stand. This is where it comes from, this passage right here. And so the people are standing, and then what's remarkable is that, is that Ezra and Nehemiah, they have the Levites' teachers, helpers. They're in, mingled in the crowd, mingling in the crowd. Kind of interesting picture there. And, and some scholars believe that Ezra's reading and pausing at certain times, and while he's pausing, the, 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 the teachers, the helpers are mingling, and they're giving instruction and interpretation by what was just said. But again, what a, what a remarkable setting. The people of God are hearing the word of God. And for some of them, for the first time, but something interesting happens. As, as, Nea, as, as, Ezra, as Ezra reads the, the, the word of the Lord, people begin to weep. They begin to mourn. And, and, and they're crying. And, 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 and then the most remarkable teaching that you find in Scripture takes place. You, you don't find this very often in Scripture. 
if anywhere. Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, what did they say to the people? Uh-uh, not now. You don't weep now. This day is holy. It's time to celebrate. It's time to be joyful. This day is going to be set aside for joy, for food, for drink, for festivities. If you allow me to say it, it's party time. It's party time. That's exactly what he's saying. You don't cry now. No weeping. No weeping. I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, where, where we read there, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. And isn't it remarkable? Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levites are saying, people of God, it is time to laugh and joy. It is time to dance. It is time to rejoice in what God has done for us. Amen? Amen. What a remarkable passage. <laughs> Now, let's go a little bit deeper here. The, the first thing I think we see here, as we look a little bit closer in this passage, is that Christianity is joy, is joyful. It can be, it should be, and it is. There's elements of Christianity where there is joy and rejoicing. It, it's remarkable that we think of this little phrase, joyful Christianity. That little phrase is not an oxymoron. <laughs> joyful and Christianity can be in the very same phrase. To be joyful and holy can be in the very same sentence, in the same, same paragraph. Three times, verses 9 through 12. It's a beautiful passage. Three times the Lord, or the, the Levites and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, say to the people, this day is holy to the Lord our God. This day is holy to the Lord. This day is holy. This day is to be set apart to celebrate joy, as I mentioned, and holiness in the same sentence. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, I grew up in the church, and that wasn't always the case for me, just my own experience. When I grew up and I heard the word holy, when we were to be holy, and the holiness of God, and that people were to be holy, I, I associated that, we did, with quiet reverence, a silence, you know, a respectful, subdued piety. Now, isn't it interesting that here in this passage, Joy is associated with holiness. Holiness is associated with, with food and drink and festivities. Remarkable. One can be holy and joyful at the same time. Amen. 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 I could end the sermon right there. That would be the message. But, but we'll continue. We'll continue. One, one, one thought here about the word joy itself. Joy itself. Now, now we see that this joy here is in God himself and his gifts. The people are overjoyed once again for what God had done for them. He had delivered them. He had brought them out of captivity. He had kept his promises. He had said during that captivity, when they went into captivity, because of their disobedience, they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. But through the prophets, the prophets of old, God said, I will bring you back. And here they stand. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. God kept his promises. God is a God of his word. He is faithful. He's merciful. And the leaders are saying to the people now, 
Let, let's just celebrate that first. Let's just celebrate the, the fact that we are once again delivered, redeemed. Let's respond with joy. First things first, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What a beautiful phrase. I hope you can memorize that phrase and remember where it is in, your, in the Bible. The joy of the Lord. The joy, the joy is found in the Lord. In the Lord. Uh, interesting, the, the joy is not found in brick and mortar. The, the joy is not found in leaders, although Nehemiah, Ezra, very important. Again, the leaders are saying, our joy, our sense of security, our sense of peace and joy and grace is found in God and God alone. Our joy is centered in Him. In Him. I think in the New Testament here, we think of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul, again, is just taken back by, by who the Lord is, our, our, the one who died on the cross, the one who rose victoriously from the grave, our Redeemer, what he has done for us, redeeming sinful people forgiving us, calling us to be into his children or gathering us into to his family. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that you're forgiven, that you're God's child, that you have a future in him starting today. So rejoicing, the idea that we are to rejoice is just profound all through scripture. And then notice with me how long they are to celebrate. This is interesting. And that's a chapter, uh, verses 13 through 18, that section, the last part of the, the, the passage. How long are the celebrations, the festivities, how long are they to last? Ezra is reading the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, most scholars believe that, and he reads God's wording regarding the, the, the Feast of Booths, verse 14. Another phrase for that, Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast uh, commemorated uh, the, the, the desert wanderings of the exiles as they came out of Egypt. And, and so um, they're reading this, they're hearing this, and they're saying, oh, you can just imagine the setting again. Ezra's reading, and they're, they're all of a sudden, wow, that's in there? <laughs> really? And, and if, if you want to read uh, some of the verses there uh, from the Pentateuch, uh, Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23. I'll just read that real quickly for you as soon as I find it. Leviticus 23, and we read there verse 33. Verse 33, it says there, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Lord, speak, excuse me, speak to the people of Israel, saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. And then over to, to, to verse 42. You should dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so again, people are hearing this, many, for the very first time, and, and um, the leaders are saying, we should do this, and the people are saying, yes, we should, and off they go. 
and, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they make these booths. I love verse 17. I love verse 17. It says there, and there was very great rejoicing. Very great rejoicing. Seven days, seven days of rejoicing. Seven days of festivities, rejoicing. Just, again, praising God for who he is. Now, confession and repentance, that comes later, chapter 9. Get into that. Touch on that a little bit later. But right now, it's time to rejoice. So Christianity is joy, joyful. It can be, it's supposed to be, and there's an element of it that truly is because of what God, our Redeemer, has done for us. But Christianity is also benevolent. It's also benevolent. And uh, Christianity opens our eyes to the needs of others. Verse 10 is very, very important here. We read, go, eat, and then these words, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So they're, they're hearing about the fact that <laughs> do not mourn, but it's time to eat, it's time to drink, it's time to celebrate. And then these words, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Many, many scholars believe that means share with those who have little or have nothing. The, the idea is to, here to share with the poor. The, the leaders are saying give to the poor, not only give to the poor, but everyone's included in the festivities. Don't leave anybody out. Everybody's invite, invited to the table. Everybody's invited. Make sure everyone is invited when we celebrate, when we have these celebrations. And so there's a real conscious effort there, a thought there about taking care of the poor. Now this concern about the poor throughout the Old Testament, again, it's good to read some scripture here. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And, and perhaps um, just like the, the people in Nehemiah chapter 8, maybe for some of us, we're hearing some of these words for the very first time tucked away in the Old Testament. But notice uh, so many passages, but I just, uh, I'll just read this one. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 and following, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be there for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Powerful. All through the scripture, God's concerned about the poor, everyone. God's always concerned about everyone. Zechariah chapter 7, 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Last week, uh, Ryan preached on Nehemiah 5. Maybe you remember that context. But there, Nehemiah is very angry. What he finds out is that Jewish people, 
um, toward their own Jewish families, Jewish people, are, are, are oppressing them and abusing them financially, financially suppressing them. And it's causing some of their Jewish brothers and sisters, ethnicity there, to even go into slavery. <laughs> you can read it your own. Nehemiah's angry, angry. He calls everybody together and says, what's going on? This is not the way you treat each other. This is not the way God would want us to treat each other. So this, this, this idea of justice, of, of being fair and including everyone and bringing everyone to the table is very, very important, very central. Now this Old Testament theme on benevolence and generosity is found in the New Testament too. Just a few passages here. Um, Acts 4, verse 34, early church, early church. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Galatians 6, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. I was find scripture interesting this way, that as the community of believers, the body of Christ, were to care for one another, yes, very clear, but the body, and as believers, our arrows are always pointing out, we're always, we always have an eye to others as well, perhaps those who are not yet part of the body. But as we have opportunity, Galatians 6.10, let us do good to everyone. Luke 10, verse 37, that, that section there is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and the Good Samaritan you know, comes alongside that person that was beaten and laying on the side of the road. And the, the Good Samaritan's willing to get his hands dirty and, and, and help this person. And it's remarkable how that story ends with, with these five Five words, you go and you do likewise. You go and you do likewise. First John 3, 17 through 18, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Beautiful words, beautiful words. The, the erroneous thought that Christianity is only concerned about personal salvation, but not about practical compassion for others is just, again, erroneous, not found in Scripture. Martin Luther has this beautiful, beautiful paragraph on this topic. He says, hence, as our Heavenly Father has in Christ freely come to our aid, we also ought freely to help our neighbors through our body, church body, and its works. And each one should become, as it were, a Christ to the other. That is, that we may be truly Christians. Wow. To think of yourself at work, at home, your neighborhood, wherever you are, that you are, as it were, a Christ to others, wherever God has planted you. So what happens when the word of God is discovered? What happens when it's rediscovered? Well, there's a spiritual revival, isn't it? 
when God's word is central, there's a spiritual revival. God is at work. And, and, and here, the application, or here, at least in this passage, Nehemiah 8, there is joy, there is generosity, there's hospitality, there's, you know, again, um, it just goes on, benevolence. And I, I think it's just a great, a great lesson here for all of us today. It, it's the idea, one application, or at least one thought here. It's the idea of opening up our tables for others. It, it's the idea of hospitality. It's the idea of festivities, but when we have the festivities, when, when we're together, we, we want others to be part of the table, to be invited to the table. Ryan and I, were, we were talking about this uh, this past week, and Ryan said, it's an interesting thought, he said, he really believes that the greatest form of evangelism today is most likely hospitality. Hospitality today. Being neighborly. Inviting people to the table. Wow, opening up our tables. You know, again, it's not standing on the street corner with a bullhorn. It's table talk. It's, it's, it's block parties. It's, it's backyard barbecue. We should say in California, backyard barbecues. Here, I guess you say grills. You're grilling in the backyard. It's opening our table for our neighbors and, 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 and because we want others to be part of what God has done for us. And so we, we're relational. We, we invite. And then over, over table, over table talk, you know, friendships and relationships become informed. And, and here's the question for all of us. Is, is, is Christian community, and I would really love to have you think this through, is Christian community, our body life, are we radical enough? Are we radical enough in the way we love one another care for one another, sacrifice for one another. It's, it's interesting, in city groups this quarter, we're, we're using materials called uh, missional church and church planting, big words, and uh, for our discussion materials. And, and, and this week's lesson talks about the third culture, and it's pretty heavy duty. It's weighty material. It's weighty material. But it talks about the third culture, and, and I, I love what's being said there. I love the, the thought there that, that the Christian community should live in such a way, the Christian body in such a way, love one another, accept one another, sacrifice for one another. It's our DNA. That, that is so profound, it becomes a third culture. It becomes a third way of how we value life and, and, and how we value people. And then our culture around us takes notice. Wow, they're different. They're different. He's different. She's different. Again, I I think of this verse in 1 John 3, verse 16. John says to us, you know, this is love that Jesus laid down his life for friends, and you ought to lay down your life for your friends. (laughs) And I, I just think of that phrase for a while. You ought to lay, so you ought to lay down your life for your friends. I'm your holy moly. Laying down my life for my friends, the body, 
believers in Christ, laying down my life, sacrificing for each other. And that would, be, that would become so powerful, it become contagious, it become infectious, contagious Christianity, that there's something there that people would say, what is going on? What is taking place? And so in the church of Jesus Christ, we don't only declare the good news, we demonstrate the good news. We demonstrate the good news, and then we declare the good news. <laughs> they reinforce each other, don't they? they? They go hand in hand. People need to hear the gospel, but there are a lot of people that need to see the gospel kind of lived out, the implications of the gospel. Oh, 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 that's, oh, I see. So profound. So profound. So that's the challenge for us today. We, we, we need to invite our neighbors, our neighbors to the table. And, and I, I need to let you know, hey, I have not arrived. I'm, I'm still working on this myself. Tony and I as well. But there's, but there's something unique here. We, we want to do this in New City Church. Uh, over the last couple of months here, there's a couple of people who have been talking about neighborhood breakfasts just a sheer act of kindness on our part, but that we would host a neighborhood breakfast in this neighborhood for our friends, for our neighbors. That we would just say, we'd like to get to know you. We'd like to invite you to our table. We read in, in, in the scriptures to love your neighbors and the, and the justice team, we kind of shared this with you, that little, that little um, magnet grid who is my neighbor? And the thought there is, what if God was really serious about the fact that we are to love the neighbors that God puts right on our doorsteps? I mean, what would that look like to really love our neighbors? Now, again, I'm, I know this is no easy task sometimes, please. But what would it look like for New City Church as a church in very practical ways, tangible ways, to let our neighbors know that we love them, that we care about them, that we're actually concerned and care about their lives and what's going on in their lives, and to the point where maybe we can pray for them. Wow. And so uh, that's on the agenda. The very first neighborhood breakfast, Saturday, March 3. And so uh, you'll, you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But my challenge is uh, here to all of us in 2018, what will this look like for you in your house? What would, it, what would it look like on your street with your neighbors or your coworkers? What would it look like to be inviters, to, to invite people into your life, to invite people to your table. Sheer, sheer act of kindness of just getting to know your neighbors, just getting to know them. We, when, when we discover God's word, we, we see God for all he is and his beauty and his holiness, his grace and what he's done for us, but that never leaves us the same because we see what he's done for us and we say, I want that for others too. I want that to others too. And I want others to be included at the table 
to rejoice in the great Redeemer that we have. So in closing, God's word is life. Coming back to God's word, God's word is life. When we discover it, rediscover, it brings life. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is inspired by God. And it goes on to say, uh, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work, every good work, taking in scripture, so that we be equipped for every good ministry, service, that we're available to bear fruit for God. Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of the Lord, one of my favorite verses, is living and active. Hebrews 4, verse 12, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of the Lord is living and active, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God has that power. The spirit of living God has that, that power, the means of just taking God's word and just piercing our hearts with his word, with his spirit. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and I paragraph, uh, paraphrase, uh, blesses the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And in verse 3 it says, for he is like a tree planted by streams of water. I was thinking, what a beautiful picture. A tree by water. Health. So the person who delights in the law of the Lord. And then Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word. New City Church, may we discover, may we discover, rediscover God's word anew in our lives. It will bring us joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you again for your grace and your goodness. Lord, what a beautiful passage tucked away there in the Old Testament in Hebrews, Hebrews, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. Father, it's really kind of hard for us to comprehend that, that, that your people, the Israelites, would, would forget your word and, and not have your word available for years. And then to see the delight, their delight in hearing it once again and being able to put it into practice and to live by it. To be able to again see and hear of your redemption, that you're a God that delivers, redeems. You're a God of mercy, grace. Oh, Father, we pray, no matter where we are, Lord, this morning, no matter where we are in our Bible reading, Father, that, that your word will become life again to us. Because your word, your word behind it, if we may phrase it this way, there's you. You are there. And so, Lord, we, we, we pray that we'll take a delight in just meeting with you and reading uh, your, your word. And, and again, just hearing anew, afresh, every day. Your mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. That we just take that in. 
Again, no matter where we are, no matter what Bible reading plan that we may have, whether we read a verse a day or three chapters a day, whatever it may be, Father, that your word would become new again in our lives and that we will find joy, joy in you. In your name, amen.